Hello, everyone. This is the Sanctified Mind Podcast. It is that time again. It's time for us to review a book we've been reading and discuss its subject matter in depth or less in depth, somewhere in that ballpark. So a little different this time. We have with us my friend and brother in Christ and a deacon at my church, uh, Regan Kenamore. Hey, great to be here. Uh, Great to know these men and to be here with the podcast. Yeah, so Regan's a, a deacon at Christ Reformed Church in Lawrenceville. He's a Reformed Baptist like me, so you know he's right. Um, it's going to be pretty interesting because he has a different eschatological position than uh, what's typically talked about in the book, so hopefully we'll get into it. But about this book, this month's book is a book I chose called The Puritan Hope by Ian Murray. Ian Murray is a well-known pastor and theologian out of merry old England. He was the assistant to Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones at Westminster Chapel in London. He's the co-founder of Banner of Truth Trust, which is where we get all the coolest books. He's written many books and continues to teach and preach and speak today. This book deals primarily with the optimist eschatology of the English and Scottish Puritans, as well as those involved with the Great Awakening and the expansive mission work which took place at that time. I chose this book because I believe that the expansion of dispensationalism has given us a false view that the church will not be victorious on earth, and I believe that this book makes an excellent case that we ought to hope for, and dare I say expect, victory here on earth because the gospel will go forth in power and victory where God is calling his saints and Christ's enemies are being placed under the feet of King Jesus. I really enjoyed reading this book. What do you guys think? Yes, I, I liked it. Um, it reminded me, I, a long time ago, probably 10 years ago, I read another one of his books called, uh, it was on Revival. So I forget the name of it, um, Why Revival Terry's Revival and Revivalism. That would be it. Yeah, Regan brought it. So uh, I remember, and this is the first two chapters, that's what I want to talk about first, is his view of revivalism. And um, honestly, I was kind of convicted by the first two chapters, I think generally revivalism is looked down on mm-hmm. or I, I guess revival. So again, we need to distinguish like what is a revival and what is revivalism. Um, and he probably talks about that in, in his other book, I'm sure. Uh, but I was just struck that for myself, I know I, in the past I've had a tendency to look down on revival as something that's just full of false fire and, something that, you know, is not uh, following correct doctrine and stuff. But as he brings out in the first couple of chapters, like, n- no, that's not how it has to be, right? That's not how it was historically. Um, the Puritans experienced great revivals. They expected great revival. You know, they expected the spirit to work through the preaching of his word. And um, so, yeah, I think that that was really interesting and something that we should probably recover more of in the Reformed Church. Yeah, I think the question got brought up at some point about why we have this sort of conception of revivals that we do. And I was trying to think about it, um, and maybe this gets brought up more into the discussion after the fact um, in our next podcast. But um, I know that media has probably played into my own understanding of what I have viewed revivalism as, where it's like a sort of altar call or a pray this prayer and come before. And everybody's going to see now that this, you know, revivalism has worked. and. well, and our, sort own, of, our own experiences have right. taught us that growing up in the Bap, in the Southern Baptist Church, you know, the tent meeting revivals, the altar call, you know, the, the decisionalism type of thing. Charismatic, you know, stuff, the, the, the idea of it being primarily about 
energy and, and performance than, than actual doctrine. That's, that probably is what led to that kind of negative interpretation and understanding of it. Sure. Just that, about trying to get numbers or different things, but I don't think that's what this book is about. I think it's more about that optimistic attitude that you have towards the gospel and its power to accomplish its purposes and how that can lead to things um, in your life and in the life of the church where you're going out and doing missions, how it affects your prayer life, how it affects the way you interact with other people. And that's why I think it's talking about there when it's talking about revivalism. Absolutely. And uh, if we were to define revival the way Ian Murray does and, and the way it should be defined, the Protestant Reformation would be considered a revival. Yeah. And that was not a movement of just simply static experiences, but it was a movement for uh, the reformation of God's worship. Yeah, and, I thought that was really interesting how he, when he talked about that, how the, the Reformation was considered a revival, but it was a revival that pointed back to Scripture. You know, it was a revival. It wasn't a, a revival in the sense that we think of it. It was a revival that had an objective point, which was getting back to the idea of studying the doctrines of Scripture, believing them, living them out. I, I, I really appreciated that. And this book is been refreshing to me, even if I don't agree with all the uh, doctrines that they teach, is that uh, just growing up in this pessimistic you know, Christian circles where the world is just getting worse and worse and worse, it showed that the Puritans had a hope, and that hope affected the way they preached, the way they uh, did missions, the way uh, they lived, and that they were optimistic that Christ is ruling and he shall reign and the preaching of God's word will uh, not return void. Right. I think that, Go ahead, Ryan. I was going to say, that I think that's a perfect sort of segue to what um, we talked about in our very last podcast, which is the death of Christian Britain, right? Yeah. After we talked about that, there's every reason that somebody who maybe barely or half listened to it or just saw the title would say, you know, we have reason to be pessimistic about the power of God's word. Um, I think one reason that you had actually recommended that book, Daniel, was the, the catchphrase that's very common. Those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. It's something that American Christians need to internalize and see, you know, maybe where um, the church in Britain might have taken missteps. Um, but something that I got out of this book, I think, is that those who know history are empowered to repeat it. And Ian Murray talks about how, um, you know, the revivalism that the Puritans experience is something that they uh, had also in apostolic times. And if you're expecting that sort of working of the spirit in the culture and you're empowered with the knowledge of history and God's providence in history and knowing that he's going to watch over his people, you're going to go out and with boldness and confidence preach that gospel to the world. And because you now not only are ignorant of history, so you don't repeat past mistakes, but you know history and you're empowered to do the things that God's people are supposed to do, go out to preach to the nations and watch that work take effect. I think it's just an interesting contrast of um, how history really is important. Right. That's a great point. And, you know, one thing he mentioned in the book kind of that highlights that is he talks about in the, you know, it's a great contrast of the 17th century with 1730 when the queen was um, talking politics in the middle of a sermon. And then he goes on to talk about later in the 18th century, the, the revivals that happened and things. And so I think we have a very short view of things, right? Uh, things can be drastically different in 20 years. Um, just because we have this, you know, we would say a decline of American Christianity now 
doesn't mean that the Spirit can work great things. And we can look through history and see that that's happened. There's been periods where Christians were killed and tortured, you know, much worse than were persecuted now. And then shortly after that, there's great revival in Christianity, you know, uh, is in political power, not only, but in prominence in the land with many people getting saved. And so I definitely agree that looking and seeing that, you know, empowers us to believe the promises that are in the Bible, because look, it's happened in the past, right? You know, it's not just a pipe dream. It's something, you know, God's word does, has gone out and not returned to him void. The promises in the Bible are true, right? And we should have great hope in them. Um, and history can confirm that for us. Brings life from the dead. Yeah, yeah exactly. The When the word is preached, you know, the, the dry bones can live, you know, hearts are changed. And I think um, just comparing it with last books, the death of Christian Britain, something that really popped out or, you know, stood out to me is that he talks about the, you know, with Darby and stuff, the, their eschatological view starting to change, I guess the church's view starting to change in the 1800s. And that's kind of what the death of Christian Britain kind of starts in the 1800s and goes forward there. So I think that, uh, part of the decline of Christian Britain probably is it's, the decline in its, you know, this eschatological views as far as a lack of hope. I think that's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy, you know, where, where Christians, and we'll talk more about this in the full discussion of the book, but um, if Christians are, you know, just like passive thinking, you know, we're going to be taken away soon, right? This is the end, you know, then there's no, there's no reason to work for uh, the spread of the gospel, you know, or, or the, the crown rights of, of King Jesus in our land and in our culture. Jay Vernon McGee said, why polish the brass on a sinking ship? And I think that very much is the outlook that has pervaded America for the last century or so. But speaking about this book particularly, this is not just an exegetical outline for you know post-millennialism. I, it's, I think it's applicable to multiple eschatologies. Um, it's a very cool look at uh, Puritan history. Um, it, it almost felt like an autobiography in some of the chapters when he's talking about, you know, William Carey, George Whitfield, and these, all these different names. So if that's something that even remotely interests you, and it should, because these are the people that have gone before us that have done great things for the gospel, that have done great things for Christ's kingdom, and to see how they did it and, uh, you know, really what fueled and what motivated them to do the things that they did, you know, back in a time when uh, mission work especially was a, a dangerous, you know, arduous kind of process it's nothing like it was like it is today uh in some in some sense um so i I really appreciated that i really thought it was a really cool look into um puritan history and seeing seeing how you know kind of the the mindset of different people and let me tell you seeing it, it also really creates a conflict with a lot of what you hear today because you 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 know the pervading idea uh, about specifically Americans, you know, now is that the, everybody in the, the early parts of, of America came here to take advantage of the people that to, you know, imperialism, colonialism, all these things were, were negative, but seeing how here in America, these missionaries that were driven by this hopeful eschatology, they cared about the people that they were there for, you know, Jonathan Edwards cared about the Indians that he was ministering to, um, that, that really, to me, opens your eyes to the outlook at the founding of this country and before it and how this, while we, you can debate whether or not this is a Christian or was a Christian nation, it was a nation that was at the very least very much impacted by the gospel early on, um, which really spurred forward, you know, what we have today. And I thought that was a really interesting way to look at it, the way you put it out in this book. I always like books that 
combine history with doctrine because you can see how the doctrine played out and how it affected their lives, how it motivated them to live for God. You know, it wasn't just doc. It's not just a book about doctrine. It shows you literally like this is what their doctrine did to their lives and their cultures and their nations. Right. Yeah. Faith plays into hope and hope plays into love. So you can't have hope if you don't have faith in Jesus Christ. And unless you have that hope, you're not going to go out and love others as you should. Yeah. Well, I think that... No? Do you have no, anything else to say, mind. Reagan? No. Well, so I, I wanted to say something oh, else well, Daniel, before Daniel, we end. Daniel's not done talking. I really liked the... And what I think separates him talking about revival and revivalism, he has a chapter in here on the hope and Puritan piety, you know, that this hope is not divorced from piety, right? Where he talks about this hope drove them to piety, right? This hope, you know, uh, is why they were pious, you know, why they wanted to obey, why they wanted to... to to, um, you know, follow God, you know, part of it was because they had this great hope of the work he was going to do through that. And so I, I really like how he balances it and kind of really differentiates their view of revival from revivalism, this, what we would consider like, you know, doctrine, not focused emotionalism type of thing. I would add to that, uh, on that same note, if you look at uh, Jonathan Edwards or the track just called a humble attempt and his eschatology, his hope that Christ will bring his gospel to all ends of the earth powerfully, he promoted prayer in so many churches, and they had a impetus to pray because they were hopeful that the the word would go forth, that true revivals would come forth, and so it's, yeah, it is, it doesn't bring you to laziness, but it does bring you to greater piety and greater uh, pursuit of Christ. Yeah, I, I, so John Otis, uh, a pastor that goes to uh, Daniel's church, I'm reading one of his books right now, and he talks about how the idea, like what you're talking about, is how how hard is a soldier going to fight in a war if he knows that mm-hmm. he's guaranteed victory? That's not going to make him fight any less hard. That's going to make him emboldened to fight even harder and harder and harder because he knows he's going to win. And it's going to remove a lot of those fears that he has That's right. because he doesn't fear, am I going to win or lose? He says, I'm going to win because I'm following the king who I know will win. And that's where yeah. I would leave this as well. Um, going back to Regan, especially you talking about prayer. Um, I would recommend this book in general, but specifically for those who are struggling with pessimism or cynicism. Um, all things work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. In the same chapter where it talks about the transformation and renewal that we're experiencing as individual Christians is talking about also the renewal and transformation of the whole creation. And if I'm optimistic about how my life is going, I should also be optimistic about how God is going to transform all of his creation um, that is under his kingdom. Specifically, even as we're laying foundations and praying for things to bring about that kingdom, we may not see that come to pass in our time, to be honest, but that's okay because we know that God listens to his people. He answers their prayers and what we sow will later be reaped. And that should lead us to have a long-term view of church history. You know, it's not something that we have to have immediate results or we're not doing the right thing. God works in his time. As long as we are following his commandments and his word, that's all we can do. And then let the spirit work where he does. Amen. So I think that's a good place to leave it off. Wait, Uh, one more thing. Daniel's got one. I, I, I want to just go off what Ryan said. I recommend the book. 
especially like you said, if you have a pessimistic view of things. So that would mean if you have a premillennial left behindish in general type of eschatology, you should read this book. Uh, I'm becoming more and more convinced the more I look at these things that these have drastic impacts on the culture and how Christians live their lives, you know, their views of eschatology, whether you know it or not. Um, and having a pessimistic one is unbiblical and really bad for the church. So I really recommend the book. I, w- I would recommend it as well. And if for anything, just to open people's eyes that premillennial dispensational pessimism is not the m- worldview and the mindset of the church throughout history, that it's a novel thing. Right. Absolutely. So, yeah, pick it up, read it. Uh, very good read, very enjoyable and very edifying. And stay tuned because we are not done. We still got a lot more of these topics to go into in depth. So, yeah, tune in. All right.